Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Uh, we're back to watching Doctor Who. The Underwater Menace Episode 2. Sure. Um, the pictures are moving again. Oh, that's right. Yep. Uh, well, they weren't last time. No, we've only seen them in still and or animated um, for the last... <laughs> so Math. Plus four. Math. Plus one. Math. Plus one. Math. Plus six plus four is one one. Twelve? Yes. Twelve episodes in a row were either animated or... Um, not animated at all <laughs> so this one um this was found in the autumn of 2011 in a guy i can't remember which one is found first because both of them both this and um episode three of galaxy four um were found in a guy who is a film collector found one of them in his collection alerted the people like the restoration team people um they brought that one back and then as they were taking that one back I said, oh i found another one and it was this one i think i can't remember which one was which which came first but so this was just sitting in some guy's collection in england uh, until it was returned and then it was shown um so by uh like uh, a surprise event like it was a, a there the bfi puts on just doing all this um, backstory just to get you into it. Uh, the BFI often puts a missing believe wipe thing on like in December-ish or something like that. And sometimes they show like various random bits of maybe not necessarily recently discovered stuff, but but some stuff that had been missing at one point. And nobody knew what they were going to see until uh, I think it was Mark Gatiss actually stepped up and he was like presenting it. He says, oh, we're mm-hmm. showing you a clip of Galaxy 4. We're going to watch the whole of Underwater Minutes Part 2 for the first time. So a whole audience uh, watched it with with uh, glee and excitement for us to now watch here. So what did you think of the earliest surviving uh, complete episode of the Patrick Shouten era? Um... Well, it's nice that they found it. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yep. It's, uh, you know, I feel like, did I say last time that, or one of the previous times, that, that sometimes telesnaps are, are better in a way because you can sort of imagine things and when you actually see it all acted out, it kind of looks like an elementary school stage play. I don't know if I said that in that meant those words, but that that is sort of the feeling that I get with the 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 costumes and the the yeah <laughs> didn't didn't quite live up to your standards did it the uh, production values of this i mean you know i don't care that much about production values it just mm. i don't know it just looked very thin and maybe that's because it also feels thin too like the story itself right. the the whole nonsense between Jamie and Ben and Jacko and Sean Sean yeah Yep. Uh, well, yay for having a person of color who actually has like a part with lions and stuff. That's kind of great. But like it, just, their whole thing about sneaking away, just it didn't seem like it was. I mean, it kind of made sense, but it just did not play out very well on screen. Um, it was almost like Three Stooges level silly, mm-hmm. which didn't sort of jibe with the rest of it, especially an episode that starts with Polly like freaking out and breathing so heavily that that like that scene was actually effective because it was really scary um and then you get to the rest of it which which isn't um but it was really fun to see the doctor like just to watch patrick trout and 
doctoring it up. Yeah, that's what most people sort of look upon this episode now. Mm-hmm. It's just like, ooh, let's all watch Troughton in the scenes that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 aspects of of his performance did you enjoy in this part? I just, just in general, or? all of all of it. Yeah. yeah, his his reactions to things and the way that he like his facial expressions. Mm-hmm. I mean, those that's it's the best. He he reacts to things very well, and sometimes it's just you know kind of subtle and delightful it it is um it was suggested rob shearman actually appears in the uh in the making of documentary on this dvd and he was saying in that and i i didn't notice it until this in that you know you notice how kind of Troughton's sort of been playing up the comedy up till now as is like in both kind of power of the dials like he's not quite comfortable in his role yet uh, he's always like wearing disguises and saying, you know, I want, show, I want a hat like that, that sort of thing. But um, when he's opposite Zaroff, he realizes that Zaroff, Joseph first, is taking it to like 11. Mm-hmm. So Troughton knows that he can't play it to 12 mm-hmm. because that would just be silly. So he underplays his performances and his scenes mm-hmm. with Zaroff. And I find that those are his that's the sort of the first real glimpse of the Troughton doctor that, that we kind of know and love. Hmm. You know? Yep. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, his, his subtle reactions were the most, I think mm-hmm. sort of effective. So, yep, that works. And I think Polly's really good in this too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, she doesn't have a lot to do. She's just getting away and stuff, but she's, I don't know. Her, her acting is really effective. And even, you know, even when she's just like, you know, she hears somebody coming and she goes to hide like that. Maybe it's just in comparison to the scenes with the boys, which just kind of drove me up the wall a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. What she's doing makes sense. What they're doing just doesn't make any sense. And then you've got that Sean guy who's just playing everything for laughs in a way that seems terribly unrealistic. Comedy Irishman. Ugh, yeah. Yeesh. Sorry, Island. Yeah, um, I I look at the whatever scenes with Jamie in it. I look at it and I go, I wonder what the scene was like originally before they shoehorned him into this. And I'm wondering if if it was Ben perhaps that was falling down the rock in the initial uh, version of that, or if it was because that was on film, so they actually, they had to plan that bit um, to actually decide what to do with with Jamie on that one. Um, I was mentioning Troughton before he how he kind of underplays it when he's with Zaroff but then he kind of gets back to the wanting to dress up mm-hmm. doctor again like he puts on the the mac and hat on and then <laughs> and then I rewound it for him because you didn't see it the first time it was worth seeing when um Ramo brings uh the doctor a spare cloak and wacky headdress with like pneumatic tube <laughs> headdress that he's got on and just the the glee that Troughton had on his face when he says, oh, I could wear this robe and hat. He was just so happy. Yeah, actually, the lines are, are great, too, because Ramo says, can you put this on? And the doctor says, can I? With this look <laughs> yeah. on his face of, yeah, just like his eyes get white as saucers. Mm-hmm. And he's so excited. And then when he says, how do I look? And Ramo says, what? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's delightful. Because, you know, Ramo, just like, what, you're just wearing the outfit. What? I don't understand. This is normal to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you think it looks cheap, though? I do. Yeah. And that, 
has never bothered me before with with Doctor Who episodes, but I think the problem is that the first episode was just a telesnap with just, you know, like little bits of pictures. Mm -hmm. And then now I can see everything sort of moving and it's, I don't know, just doesn't work as well. No, I think uh, a lot of um, 60s productions sort of start off with like a few minutes of film and possibly a location or an e-link. So something a little more slick looking perhaps mm-hmm. to lure the uh, um, the viewers in with a new story um, before they let their hopes down by just going to the <laughs> Jeep studio for the most part. it This is, you know, usually in a four-parter, it's episode three that kind of hits the... Mm-hmm the lull and you don't you know before it sort of builds up into the the final episode i feel like episode two is where it's kind of hitting it's below on this one <laughs> not not a lot happened perhaps and i feel like the doctor really missed a trick when he was talking to the leader because one of the one of the arguments was that they're, they're priests or whatever um you know ramo's superiors said that he that the that Zaroff was the guy who has been prophesied to raise Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And as doctor, as the doctor pointed out to Ramo in their previous scene, he is going to planning to raise Atlantis. He's just going to do it in pieces. So, I mean, the doctor could have pointed out, yes, your your priests, your your seers are correct. He is going to do that, but not in the way that you want him to. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't uh, hammer home that argument. And I feel like he could, even though the even though the leader said, you know, I've heard enough. I think if the doctor would have just said, you know, your priest, but your priests are right, mm. that would have, you know, piqued his interest enough that he could have maybe convinced him. I don't know. Just seemed like the doctor's clever enough. He should have thought of that, and he didn't. That made me sad. Yeah, he usually does well with uh, figures of authority. Um, at least, at least, you know, causing enough of a ruckus to get a reaction. But I found that he was kind of swiftly cast out by him, and then called back in. Um, and then shown Sarah off at the tail end of that. You're kind of right about that. This feels in a way like kind of a very cheap um, BBC studio version of a prototypical James Bond movie with like more of a supervillain. Like this is a rare supervillain in Doctor Who who wants to blow up the world. Now that's totally B-movie James Bond. It is, yeah. And his like his assertion that that is what, you know, that's the ultimate desire of scientists to have the The achievement, Doctor! The achievement of blowing up the world! Yeah, uh, okay. Like, I I know a lot of scientists (laughs) in real life, and now I am frightened of all of them. Why do they want to blow up the world? I don't understand his motivation. Mm -hmm. The the chief power, I guess, but, uh, yeah... It, it, it was almost like a, a Davros kind of a moment. Like, you know, would you do it? Yes, because I could. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, well, this is less effective. It is like, yeah, the Davros scene is much more effective um, to this one. But um, uh, I, I like that uh, that Zaroff um, cuts a doctor off mid-sentence to go feed his fish. Um, <laughs> yeah, who he just fed like three yeah. minutes before that too. Yep. Yeah. Although I did like having like the actual, like that set I... I enjoyed quite a bit. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like that that set looked particularly cheap. Um, it's just like, I think it was more the random extra characters that just seemed less than enthused about being there or something. Yeah. But like the fish tank and the the flashing lights and all the the cords plugged into things. Like that was that was neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You asked uh, if this music was stock music, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. 
No, I just I didn't know. Um, it was the, the music was kind of fun. It was interesting. Different different music cues depending on what's happening or where they are. Like the temple has its own sort of music and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it was, it was fun. It's a rare case. It's Dudley Simpson, by the way, uh, who I think this is his second or third, I think, time on Doctor Who. He definitely did the Crusade. Um, uh, did Planet of the Planet of the Giants, obviously, in the chase. So I guess this is probably, I think it's his fourth. So it's a return, I think, to Doctor Who. And he's rare, he's a rare use of him, of him using basically the radiophonic workshop, I think, um, for his sounds and stuff. But this is exciting for me because this is this is sort of the return of Dudley Simpson and sort of be, uh, signals his um, return as sort of like being a kind of semi-regular through the last part of the Troughton era as a musician, and it's my favorite um, part of Dudley Simpson's music career, like stuff like the Ice Warriors that he does, and Space Pirates, and Seeds of Death, and the War Games and stuff, mm-hmm. and into the early John Pertwee era, so it kind of starts right here, so mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to that aspect of things. You hear a lot more music um, in episode three, I will tell you right now, so list for that. I will. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I noticed it in, in a way that wasn't annoying, so that was good. So, um, it exists. That's that's the, that's the biggest um, mm-hmm. positive, I suppose, of Underwater Menace Part 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as we said last time, I think, like if this was exciting because you had never seen this cleaned up version of it before, and mm-hmm. I had certainly never seen it before, so we got to watch something that was new. Just like last time, you hadn't seen that reconstruction, so that's fun. And this actually, it kind of makes me think like, you know, if something else gets discovered, you and I will really, for the first time, for real, be able to watch new to us Doctor Who together, Mm -hmm. which is an experience I would love to have, because it was Doctor Who that brought us together. It really was, and I think the closest thing was perhaps the enemy of the world in Web of Fear, I think, in 2013. Except that we were 1,500 miles (laughs) apart when we watched that, so it was, you know, it was happy but sad at the same time. It was, yeah. Um, I was going to say something now, but under one minute, was I going to say? About it being discovered? Or the possibility of other things being discovered, or the music, oh, or the acting. Damn. Mm-hmm. I think it's gone. Well, maybe you'll remember it for the next episode of Lazy Doctor Who <laughs> on the Incomparable <laughs> Podcast Network. Keep that up. All right. Hopefully I remember that uh, when we talk about Underwater Menace Part 3. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.